Chapters twenty six and twenty seven of the Shepherd of the Hills. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Emily Jomard. The Shepherd of the Hills by Harold Bell Wright. Chapter twenty six Ollie's Dilemma. As Preachin' Bill used to say, Every hound has its strong pints, but some has more of em. Young Stuart was not without graces pleasing to the girl whom he hoped to make his wife. He seemed to know instinctively all those little attentions in which women so delight, and he could talk, too, very entertainingly of the things he had seen. To the simple girl of the backwoods he succeeded in making the life in the city appear very wonderful indeed. Neither was Sammy insensible to the influence of his position and his prospective wealth, with the advantages that these things offered. Then, with all this, he loved her dearly, and when, if you please, was a woman wholly unmoved by the knowledge that she held first place in a man's heart. For two weeks they were together nearly every day, sometimes spending the afternoon at the girl's home on the side of Dewey, or roving over the nearby hills, sometimes going for long rides through the great woods to pass the day with friends, returning in the evening to find a Jim smoking in the doorway of the darkened cabin. When Mr. Lane, at the end of the first week, asked his daughter in his point-blank fashion what she was going to do with young Stuart, the girl answered, "'He must have his chance, Daddy. He must have a good fair chance. I—I I don't know what it is, but there is—I—I I don't know, Daddy. I'm sure I loved him when he went away. That is, I think I am sure.' And Jim, looking into her eyes, agreed heartily. Then he took down his violin to make joyful music far into the night. Ollie did not see young Matt after their meeting on the lookout. The big fellow, too, avoided the couple, and Sammy for some reason carefully planned their rides so that they would not be likely to meet their neighbor on the ridge. Once indeed they called at the Matthews place, walking over in the evening, but that was when Sammy knew that young Matt was not at home. Day after day, as they talked together, the girl tried honestly to enter into the life of the man she had promised to marry. But always there was that feeling of something lacking. Just what that something was, or why she could not feel completely satisfied, Sammy did not understand. But the day was soon to come when she would know the real impulses of her heart. Since that first afternoon, Ollie had not tried to force his suit. While in a hundred little ways he had not failed to make her feel his love, he had never openly attempted the role of lover. He was conscious that to put the girl constantly upon the defensive would be disastrous to his hopes, and in this he was wise. But the time had come when he must speak, for it was the last day of his visit. He felt that he could not go back to the city without a definite understanding. Sammy, too, realized this but still she was not ready to give an answer to the question he would ask. They had been to the forks and were on their way home. As they rode slowly under the trees, the man pleaded his cause, but the woman could only shake her head and answer quite truthfully, "'Ollie, I don't know.' "'But tell me, Sammy, is there any one in the way?' Again she shook her head. "'I—I I think not.' "'You think not? Don't you know?' The young man reined his horse closer to the brown pony. "'Let me help you decide, dear. 
You are troubled because of the change you see in me, and because the life that I have tried to tell you about is so strange, so different from this. You need not fear. With me you will very soon be at home there, as much at home as you are here. Come, dear, let me answer for you. The girl lifted her face to his. Oh, if you only could! But even as she spoke there came to her the memory of that ride home from the party at Ford's when her pony had crowded close to the big white-faced sorrel. It was Brownie this time who was pulled sharply aside. The almost involuntary act brought a quick flush to the young man's cheek, and he promptly reined his own horse to the right, thus placing the full width of the road between them. So they went down the hill into the valley, where Fall Creek tumbled and laughed on its rocky way. A thread of blue smoke curling lazily up from the old stack and the sound of a hammer told them that someone was at the mill. Sammy was caught by a sudden impulse. "'Why, that must be young Matt!' she exclaimed. "'Let us stop. I do believe you haven't seen him since you came home.' "'I don't want to see him, nor anyone else now,' returned Ollie. "'This is our last evening together, Sammy, and I want you all to myself. Let us go up to the old Rourke Trail around Cox's Bald and home through the big low gap. He checked his horse as he spoke, for they had already passed the point where the Rourke Trail leaves Fall Creek. But the girl was determined to follow her impulse. "'You can stop just a minute,' she urged. "'You really ought to see Matt, you know. We can ride back this way, if you like. It's early yet.' But the man held his place and replied shortly, "'I tell you I don't want to see anybody, and I am very sure that young Matt doesn't want to see me. Not with you, anyway.' Sammy flushed at this, and answered with some warmth. "'There is no reason in the world why you should refuse to meet an old friend, but you may do as you please, of course. Only I am going to the mill.' So saying, she started down the valley, and as there was really nothing else for him to do, the man followed. As they approached the mill, Sammy called for young Matt, who immediately left his work and came to them. The big fellow wore no coat, and his great arms were bare, while his old shirt, patched and faded and patched again, was soiled by engine grease and perspiration. His trousers, too, held in place by suspenders repaired with belt lacing and fastened with a nail, were covered with sawdust and dirt. His hands and arms and even his face were treated liberally with the same mixture that stained his clothing, and the shaggy red-brown hair, uncovered, was sadly tumbled. In his hand he held a wrench. The morrow was grinding day, and he had been making some repairs about the engine. Altogether, as the backwoodsman came forward, he presented a marked contrast to the freshly clad, well-groomed gentleman from the city, and to the woman the contrast was not without advantages to the man in the good clothes. The thought flashed through her mind that the men who would work for Ollie in the shops would look like this. It was the same old advantage, the advantage that the captain has over the private, the advantage of rank, regardless of worth. Sammy greeted young Matt warmly. "'I just told Ollie that it was too bad he had not seen you. You were away the night we called at your house, you know, and he is going home to-morrow.' The giant looked from one to the other. Evidently Sammy had not heard of that meeting at the lookout, and Stuart's face grew red as he saw what was in the big fellow's mind. "'I'm mighty glad to see you again,' he said lamely. "'I told Sammy that I had seen you, but she has forgotten.' "'Oh, no, I haven't,' replied the girl. 
You said that you saw him in the field as you passed the first day you came, but that you were in such a hurry you didn't stop. At this Ollie forced a loud laugh, and remarked that he was in something of a hurry that day. He hoped that in the girl's confusion the point might be overlooked. But the mountaineer was not to be sidetracked so easily. Ollie's poor attempt only showed more clearly that he had purposely refrained from telling Sammy of the night when young Matt had interfered to save his life. To the simple, straightforward lad of the woods, such a course revealed a spirit most contemptible. Raising his soiled hands and looking straight at Ollie, he said deliberately, "'I'm sorry, seein' as this is the first time we've met, that I can't shake hands with you. This here's clean dirt, though.' Sammy was puzzled. Ollie's objection to their calling at the mill, his evident embarrassment at the meeting, and something in young Matt's voice that hinted at a double meaning in his simple words, all told her that there was something beneath the surface which she did not understand. After his one remark to her escort, the woodsman turned to the girl, and in spite of Sammy's persistent attempts to bring the now sullen Ollie into the conversation, ignored the man completely. When they had talked for a few moments, young Matt said, "'I reckon you'll have to excuse me a minute, Sammy.' I left the engine in such a hurry when you called that I'll have to look at it again. It won't take more in a minute. As he disappeared in the mill-shed, the young lady turned to her companion. What's the matter with you two? Have you met and quarreled since you came home? Fate was being very unkind to Ollie. He replied gruffly, You'll have to ask your friend. I told you how it would be. The greasy hobo doesn't like to see me with you, and hasn't manners enough even to hide his feelings. Come, let us go on. A look that was really worth seeing came into the girl's fine eyes, but she only said calmly, Matt will be back in a minute. All the more reason why we should go. I should think you have had enough. I am sure I have. The young woman was determined now to know what lay at the bottom of all this. She said quietly, but with a great deal of decision, You may go on home if you wish. I am going to wait here until young Matt comes back. Ollie was angry now in good earnest. He had not told Sammy of the incident at the lookout, because he felt that the story would bring the backwoodsman into a light altogether too favorable. He thought to have the girl safely won before he left the hills. Then it would not matter. That young Matt would have really saved Ollie's life at the risk of his own there was no doubt and Stuart realized that his silence under such circumstances would look decidedly small and ungrateful to the girl. To have the story told at this critical moment was altogether worse than if he had generously told of the incident at once. He saw, too, that Sammy guessed at some thing beneath the surface, and he felt uneasy in remaining until young Matt came back to renew the conversation, and yet he feared to leave. At this stage of his dilemma he was relieved from his plight in a very unexpected manner. CHAPTER Twenty Seven: THE CHAMPION A big wagon with two men on the seat appeared coming up the valley road. It was Wash Gibbs and a crony from the river. They had stopped at the distillery on their way, and were just enough under the influence of drink to be funny and reckless. When they caught sight of Ollie Stewart and Miss Lane, Wash said something to his companion, at which both laughed uproariously. Upon reaching the couple the wagon came to a stop and after looking at Ollie for some moments, with the silent gravity of an owl, Gibbs turned to the young lady. "'Howdy, honey. 
Where did you get that there? Did your pa give it to you for a doll baby? Young Stuart's face grew scarlet, but he said nothing. Can't it talk? continued Gibbs with mock interest. Glancing at her frightened escort, the girl replied, You drive on, Wash Gibbs. You're in no condition to talk to anyone. An ugly leer came over the brutal face of the giant. Oh, I ain't, ain't I? You think I'm drunk, but I ain't not so mighty much. Just enough to pert me up a pepper grain. Then, turning to his companion, who was grinning in appreciation of the scene, he continued, Here, Bill, you hold the ribbons and watch me tend to that little job I told you I laid out to do first chance I got. At this, Ollie grew as pale as death. Once he started as if to escape, but he could not under Sammy's eyes. As Wash was climbing down from the wagon, he caught sight of young Matt standing in the door of the mill-shed. "'Hello, Matt,' he called cheerfully. "'I ain't a-lookin' for you to-day. Tend to you some other time. Got more important business just now.' Young Matt made no reply, nor did he move to interfere. In the backwoods every man must fight his own battles, so long as he fights with men. When Stuart was in danger from the panther it was different. This was man to man. Sammy, too, reared in the mountains, and knowing the code, waited quietly to see what her lover would do. Coming to Ollie's side, Gibbs said, "'Get down, young feller, and look at your saddle.' "'You go on, and let me alone, Wash Gibbs. I've never hurt you.' Ollie's naturally high-pitched voice was shrill with fear. Wash paused looked back at his companion in the wagon, then to young Matt, and then to the girl on the horse. "'That's right,' he said, shaking his head with ponderous gravity. "'You all hear him. He ain't never hurted me, nary a bit. Nary a bit, ladies and gentlemen, but good Lord, look at him. Ain't it awful?' Suddenly he reached out one great arm and jerked the young man from his horse, catching him with the other hand as he fell, and setting him on his feet in the middle of the road. Ollie was like a child in the grasp of his huge tormentor, and, in spite of her indignation, a look of admiration flashed over Sammy's face at the exhibition of the bully's wonderful physical strength, an admiration that only heightened the feeling of shame for her lover's weakness. Gibbs addressed his victim. "'Now, Dolly, you and me's going to play a little. Come on, let's see you dance.' The other struggled feebly a moment and attempted to draw a pistol whereupon Wash promptly captured the weapon, remarking in a sad tone as he did so, "'You had not to tote such a gun as that, Sonny. It might go off. It's a right pretty little thing, ain't it?' he continued, holding his victim with one hand and examining the pearl-handled, nickel-plated weapon with great interest. "'It sure is. But say, Dolly, if you was ever to shoot me with that there, and I found it out—' I'd sure be powerful mad. You hear me now, and don't you pack that gun no more. Not in these mountains. It ain't safe. The fellow in the wagon roared with delight at these witticisms, and looked from young Matt to Sammy to see if they also appreciated the joke. Got any more pretties? asked Gibbs of his victim. No? Let's see. Catching the young man by the waist, he lifted him bodily, 
and holding him head downward, shook him roughly. Again, Sammy felt her blood tingle at the feet of strength. Next, holding Ollie with one huge hand at the back of his neck, Wash said, "'See that feller in the wagon there? He's a mighty fine gentleman, friend of mine. Make a bow to him.' As he finished, with his free hand he struck the young man a sharp blow in the stomach, with the result that Stuart did make a bow, very low, but rather too suddenly to be graceful. The fellow in the wagon jumped up and bowed again and again. "'Howdy, Mr. City Man, howdy! Mighty proud to meet up with you, mighty proud, you bet!' The giant whirled his captive toward the mill. "'See that feller yonder? I'm going to lick him some day. Make a face at him.' Catching Ollie by the nose and chin, he tried to force his bidding, while the man in the wagon made the valley ring with his laughter. Then Wash suddenly faced the helpless young man toward Sammy. "'Now, ladies and gentlemen,' he said in the tones of a showman addressing an audience, "'this here pretty little feller from the city is going to show us hillbillies how to spark a gal.' The bully's friend applauded loudly, roaring at the top of his voice. "'Marry him, Wash, marry him. You can do it as good as a parson. You'd make a good parson. Let's see how you'd go at it. The notion tickled the fancy of the giant, for it offered a way to make Sammy share the humiliation more fully. "'Get down and come here to your honey,' he said to the girl. "'Get down, I say,' he repeated when the young woman made no motion to obey. "'Indeed I will not,' replied Sammy shortly. Her tone and manner angered Gibbs, and dropping Ollie he started toward the girl to take her from the horse by force. As he reached the pony's side, Sammy raised her whip and with all her strength struck him full across the face. The big ruffian drew back with a bellow of pain and anger. Then he started toward her again. "'I'll tame you, you wild cat!' he yelled, and Sammy raised her whip again. But before Gibbs could touch the girl, a powerful hand caught him by the shoulder. "'I reckon you've had fun enough, Wash Gibbs.' remarked young Matt in his slow way. I ain't interfering between man and man, but you'd best keep your dirty hands off that lady. The young woman's heart leapt at the sound of that deep, calm voice that carried such a suggestion of power, and she saw that the blue eyes under the tumbled red-brown locks were shining now like points of polished steel. The strong man's soul was rejoicing with the fierce joy of battle. The big bully drew back a step, and glared at the man who had come between him and his victim, the man whom for every reason he hated. Lifting his huge paws, he said in a voice hoarse with deadly menace, "'Dirty be they? By hell I'll wash em, and it won't be water that'll clean em neither. Don't you know that no man ever crosses my trail and lives?' The other returned easily. "'Oh, shucks, get into your wagon and drive on.' You ain't on Rourke now, you're on Fall Creek, and over here you ain't no bigger than anybody else. While young Matt was speaking, Gibbs backed slowly away, and as the young man finished, suddenly drew the pistol he had taken from Ollie. With a quickness and lightness, astonishing in one of his bulk and usually slow movements, the mountaineer leaped upon his big enemy. There was a short, sharp struggle, and Wash staggered backward leaving the shining weapon in young Matt's hand. It might go off, you know, 
said the young fellow quietly, as he tossed the gun on the ground at Ollie's feet. With a mad roar, Gibbs recovered himself and rushed at his antagonist. It was a terrific struggle. Not the skillful sparring of trained fighters, but the rough-and-tumble battling of primitive giants. It was the climax of long months of hatred, the meeting of two who were by every instinct mortal enemies. Ollie shrank back in terror, but Sammy leaned forward in the saddle, her beautiful figure tense, her lips parted, and her face flushed with excitement. It was soon evident that the big champion of the hills had at last met his match. As he realized this, a look of devilish cunning crept into the animal face of Gibbs, and he maneuvered carefully to bring his enemies back toward the wagon. Catching a look from his friend over young Matt's shoulder, the man in the wagon slipped quickly to the ground, and Sammy saw with horror a naked knife in his hand. She glanced toward Ollie appealingly, but that gentleman was helpless. The man with the knife began creeping cautiously toward the fighting men, keeping always behind young Matt. The young woman felt as though an iron band held her fast. She could not move. She could not speak. Then Gibbs went down, and the girl's scream rang out. "'Behind you, Matt! Look quick!' As he recovered his balance from the effort that had thrown Wash, young Matt heard her cry, saw the girl's look of horror, and her outstretched hand pointing. Like a flash he whirled, just as the knife was lifted high for the murderous blow. It was over in an instant. Sammy saw him catch the wrist of the uplifted arm, heard a dull snap and a groan, saw the knife fall from the helpless hand, and then saw the man lifted bodily and thrown clear over the wagon, to fall helpless on the rocky ground. The woman gave a low cry. Oh, what a man! Wash Gibbs, too, opened his eyes, just in time to witness the unheard-of feat, and to see the bare-armed young giant who performed it turn again, breathing heavily with his great exertion, but still ready to meet his big antagonist. The defeated bully rose from the ground. The other stepped forward to meet him, but without a word Gibbs climbed into the wagon and took up the reins. Before they could move, young Matt had the mules by their heads. "'You have forgotten something,' he said quietly, pointing to the man on the ground, who was still unconscious from his terrible fall. "'That there's your property. Take it along. We ain't got no use for such as that on Fall Creek.' Sullenly, Wash climbed down and lifted his companion into the wagon. As young Matt stood aside to let him go, the bully said, "'I'll see you again for this.' The strong man only answered, "'I reckon you'd better stay on Rourke, Wash Gibbs. You got more room there.'" End of chapters 26 and 27